Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. We all go through dry spells in our lives. Whether we are in a dry place in a relationship, or at work, or in our spiritual life, John's message, Dry Places Part 2, is sure to be a blessing. I want to talk to you again tonight about dry places. That is those places in life where nothing seems to be going right. Tonight, we're in Numbers chapter 20, and we find the people of God going through the very same thing again. In fact, if you look in verse number two of this chapter, notice what it says. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. So here this same group of people uh, find themselves again sometime later, but it's the same problem. There's no water and they are very thirsty. And that says to me that dry seasons in life come every now and then. It's not just like high school graduation where it just happens one time. A dry season is something that can happen. And then you go on and you have a good season and, and you just sense the presence of God and, and maybe it's an easier, more joyful season and then all of a sudden you're in another dry season and then God brings you through that, then you're in a, in a better season. And so I think all the way through our lives, from time to time, hopefully not all the time, but from time to time, we're gonna experience some of these dry seasons in life and we need to know how to handle them and we need to know what to do. Verse number three. The people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. So now they're complaining. And now they're questioning in verse four, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? And so now they're doing what we often do in a dry season, in a dry place. We complain and we question. We complain and we question. Somebody has said that complaining is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't take you anywhere. You don't make any progress rocking, and you don't make any progress complaining. And yet, it seems to be the natural way that most of us deal with it, and that's what the children of Israel were doing. They were complaining, and they were questioning. And not only that, at the second half of verse 5, they were describing their unfulfilled expectations. They said, it is not a place of grain or figs or vine or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So what they were referring to there, when Moses had sent those 12 spies into the promised land to scout out the land and come back and give the report, the report was, hey, this land in Canaan in Israel is a good land. There are vine, there's, there's all kind of food to eat, there's fresh, veg, I mean, everything about it's good. Now they're on their way to that land, but they're in the desert and they're saying, well, we don't see these pomegranates pomegranates, or we don't see any grain, or we don't see the figs, and not only that, we don't even have any water to drink, and so they were complaining. But in verse 6, we read that Moses and Aaron, the leaders of this group of people, they took another course of action. Look at it. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And so they prayed. 
They didn't complain. They didn't question. They didn't talk about how they had all these unfulfilled expectations. No, they just prayed. And, and uh, that word where it says they fell on their faces, it literally means they prostrated themselves before God. They literally fell on their faces, lifted out their hands, and they said, God, we are in a dry place and we need you to come through for us. And it says in response to their prayer at the end of verse six, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And so God was pleased with their prayer. God was looking down from heaven at his two leaders and he was thinking, yes, you're responding properly to this dry place that you're in right now. You're praying. You're not complaining. You're not questioning me. None of that. You've come to me in prayer. And as a result of that, God's glory came upon the two of them. Now, in verse number seven, we read an interesting thing. Because here we read that although they had prayed and they were seeking God's help and intervention, that when God told them what to do, They didn't do what God told them. And it says in verse seven, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock. Can you might want to underline that in your Bible? These are the instructions from God. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water uh, for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels. Now, already Moses is beginning to do something God had not told him to do. God said, Moses, what I want you to do is speak to the rock. Now, instead of speaking to the rock, Moses is speaking to the people. And he's referring to them now as rebels. So now they've been complaining against Moses. Now Moses is going back on them. And instead of operating with love and grace and kindness and patience and understanding, now he's calling them rebels. And so that's the first act. We might call that an act of slight disobedience because God had not told Moses not to speak to the people, but he didn't tell them to speak to the people. So he was a little bit out of bounds doing that. But as we read on, we read that it got worse. Moses said, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And so now Moses is feeling the pressure to do what no human could do. In other words, no human could bring water out of a rock. Only God could do that. But the pressure now on Moses, and instead of handling that better, that he's striking out, calling them rebels and so on. But in verse 11, here's where we have a problem. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. Now, Moses at this point is completely disobeying what God had told him to do because God said, Moses, what I want you to do is speak to the rock. And if you'll speak to that rock, water will come out. And so what does Moses do? Moses said to himself, this is now the second time. So instead of just striking the rock once, I'm going to strike the rock twice. And he did. And when he did that, he disobeyed God. Because God didn't tell him to strike the rock. God told him to speak to the rock. Now, do you remember last week where we learned the passage in 1 Corinthians that refers back to that passage in Exodus 17, and it says they all drank from that same spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. And so in Exodus 17, that rock was a picture of Jesus. And so when Moses struck that rock, it was a picture of Jesus being struck crucified, wounded, bruised for our iniquities. And so in Numbers chapter seven, when Moses struck that rock again, that was a sin on many levels. But one of the reasons it was a sin is because now 
He's striking a rock that had originally symbolized Jesus, and he's striking that rock twice. And Jesus would not be crucified twice. He'd only be crucified once, and so you wouldn't strike Jesus twice. So that was the first thing. But the real problem was he just disobeyed and didn't do what God told him to do. And that leads me to a point I want to make tonight as I think about this. And that is, as important as prayer is, and we all know that prayer is important, but as important as it is to pray, prayer is no substitute for obedience. I think sometimes we have the idea if we're making a decision in life that we should pray about it. And we, maybe we pray, maybe we fast, maybe we pray for extended periods of time. And so then it comes time to make the decision and we just kind of do whatever it is we wanted to do. And somebody says, well, did you pray about it? And you say, well, yeah, I prayed about it. I prayed about it a lot. I think sometimes well-meaning people can substitute prayer for obedience. Yes, we should pray, but the purpose of prayer, at least one of the purposes of prayer, is to know what God would have us to do, to discover his will. And so when God tells us to do something, we have to do what God says, even if it goes against what we would want to do, and that was clearly the case here. But the point I wanted to make there is that prayer, as important as it is, is no substitute for obedience. Now, as we read on in this story, we see And we learn a very important lesson. Sometimes we disobey God. And after we disobey God, it seems like we got away with it. Or it seems like it didn't really make any difference. Or maybe it even seems like it worked out the way we wanted it to work out. Look again in verse 11. Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Now, think about this. God said, speak to the rock. He did not do that. He struck the rock. You would think that since he disobeyed God, nothing would have happened, that the water would not have come out of the rock. But notice an interesting thing here. Moses disobeyed, and yet the water still came out. The people still had something to drink. Not only the people, but their animals had something to drink. And so I think it would have been easy for Moses to have thought to himself, well, I know God told me to speak to the rock, but I would have looked foolish in front of all the people if I started talking to a rock. So I struck the rock. But no big deal, because water still came out and the need was still met. And I, I learned from that, I deduced from that, that sometimes it's, it's, it's possible that we could disobey God in an area of our lives and everything seems to be okay. We still have a job. We still have our health. We still have our families. We still have our uh, homes to live in. We still have everything, and we disobeyed, and it may even seem like it was to our advantage to disobey. But if we read on this story, we learn a very sobering truth, and that is, though, even though disobedience may not catch up with us immediately, and it may seem like we've gotten away with it, we learn that there are always consequences to our disobedience. And in verse number 12, we read of the severe consequences that Moses faced. The Bible says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now, I read that, and I've always thought to myself, hmm. My heart goes out to Moses here. For when this story happened in Numbers chapter 20, the children of Israel had been in the wilderness, in the desert for 38 years. Now, how many years did they wander total? We all know the answer. It was 40 years. 
And so at this point in the story, they were two years from making it into the promised land. So they were just this close to making it in. And it's at this point that Moses disobeyed God. Seemed like it didn't matter. Water still came out of the rock. The need was still met. And yet God was watching that. And God spoke to Moses and God said, Moses, because you did that, because you disobeyed me, because you didn't trust me, because you didn't believe me to, and do exactly what I told you to do, here's going to be the punishment for that crime, for that sin. You will not lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He was this close to it. 38 years of faithful leader, this close, he disobeyed God, and that was the punishment. And so it says again, there are always consequences to our disobedience. And then in verse 13, the story concludes by saying, this was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. And so they named that place Meribah, means contention, and uh, because they were contending against God and against Moses and so on. But the sad end of this story is that because of Moses' disobedience, he was not able to make it into the promised land. And so Moses died with the promised land well within his view. And Moses undoubtedly thought, if only I had obeyed God, if only I had spoken to that rock instead of struck that rock, if only I hadn't been so concerned with what the people would have thought of me, because that's why Moses struck the rock, I believe it is, because he thought they would have thought he was crazy if he spoke to the rock. And so in this moment, Moses was more concerned with what the people thought than he was with what God thought. And God Look dimly on that. And again, in verse number 12, if you notice how God describes Moses' sin, we, we view his sin as a sin of disobedience, and it was disobedience. We say, well, he did, did it the wrong way. But notice how God described this. Because you did not believe me. Moses, the reason you didn't speak to that rock was you didn't think anything good would happen if you spoke to the rock. You had seen what happened when you struck the rock. And you just assumed you could do that again, but you didn't believe me. And then it says, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. In other words, he was saying, Moses, you didn't honor me before the people. And you're not going to be able to lead them like you would have had you obeyed me. And yet today we read that. And, and I think, not, I mean, God has never done anything wrong, but I just think, man, I wish, I wish it wouldn't have been so harsh. I wish that... Moses maybe could have gotten a second chance. I wish that God would have still let Moses into the promised land. But one thing we have to remember is this. At the time this story was written, Moses was the leader of God's people. And Moses, now think about this. You still listen? Say amen. Moses was not only the giver of the law. Moses gave the people the law of God, especially the Ten Commandments. They all came from God to Moses to the people. But so he was, he was the giver of the law, but he was also leading the people as they were under the law. And so if you think of it from that perspective, what God was saying makes sense. God was saying, Moses, as the lawgiver and as the one who is leading my people under the law, you can't break the law in, the, in their presence, in bold view of everybody. You can't break the law and still lead the people into the promised land under the law. And so since Moses was living in the dispensation or the age or the, the season of law, 
he had this, strong, this, this very strong punishment that came to him. But turn now to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 17, because I don't think it's complete or I don't think it's fair to study Numbers chapter 20 without studying Matthew chapter 17. And at the beginning of this chapter, we read about the transfiguration of Jesus, how Jesus went up on the top of that mountain in, in northern Israel, Mount Hermon, uh, the top of uh, where Caesarea Philippi is, Mount Hermon's at the top of that. And Jesus took Peter and uh, James and John and the four of them went up on the top of this mountain in verse one of Matthew 17. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, led them up on a mountain by themselves. Now watch this. And he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, it tells us his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And so up on top of that mountain, Jesus took on his heavenly form, his heavenly glow. And Peter, James, and John were allowed to see Jesus in his glory, in his transcendent, glorified uh, way. And in verse number three, we read an interesting thing. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And so up on this mountain, now this mountain is in Israel, by the way. It's deep, it's northern Israel. It's way in Israel. And so now, not only is Jesus up there allowing Peter, James, and John to see uh, his transfiguration, to see that he truly is the Son of God. They knew that, but now they're seeing that visibly. Down from heaven come two very important Old Testament characters, Moses and Elijah. Moses, the giver of the law. Elijah, the great uh, prophet and the lawgiver and the great prophet are now with Jesus and they're discussing with Jesus and we read this in some of the other gospels they're discussing with Jesus his departure his pending death and so they came down from heaven to encourage Jesus now think about this so many times when we study Matthew 17 we're thinking about the transfiguration we're thinking about the conversation that Moses and Elijah had with uh, Jesus. We're thinking about Peter and James and John, what they must have thought at this time. In fact, Peter looks at this situation. He's thinking to himself, good night. I'm up on a mountain with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And the Bible says that Peter was thinking to himself, maybe we should build three tabernacles, three small houses up on here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And that's what was in his mind. And he was trying to, and it says in one of the gospels, it said, not knowing what to say, Peter spoke. And we can all relate to that because sometimes we don't know what to say. So we just start talking. I do that all the time. Think, what should I say? I don't know. Let me start and it'll come out. It'll make sense while I'm going. And if I mess it up, I'll clean it up. But what I'm saying is Peter didn't know what to say, so he spoke. He said, Lord, let's just all stay up here forever. We'll build a little house for you and for Moses and for Elijah. So normally when we study this transfiguration, that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the glorified body or a picture of the glorified body of Jesus. But I think sometimes we miss the obvious that on this Mount Hermon with Jesus, in addition to Peter, James, and John, in addition to Elijah, it was Moses. The one who for 38 years had faithfully, patiently, obediently led those Israelites out of Egyptian bondage through that desert, this close to the promised land. And in a moment of frustration, 
He disobeyed God because he didn't believe that what God told him was true. And he probably thought, everybody thought he would be crazy if he spoke to a rock. And so Moses, his whole dream had been one day to make it into the promised land. In fact, if you continue reading through Numbers and in the Old Testament, even maybe in Deuteronomy, God, Moses would go to God and he would say, please, God, please let me go into the promised land. God, please let me make it in the promised land. God, I know I messed up, but please let me make it in the promised land. God, all I've ever wanted to do is to lead your people into the promised land. God, I've been at it so long and we're so close. God, please let me go into the promised land. And finally, God spoke to Moses and God said, Moses, speak to me no more about this. You're not going into the promised land. And we read that and we think, man, But when you think about what I'm saying tonight, the reason Moses didn't make it in the promised land is because the giver of the law and the leader of the law could not lead the children of Israel who were under the law into the promised land had he broken the law and he did break the law right in front of everybody. But we come to the New Testament. We come to the age and the dispensation and the season of grace. And we see Jesus in the glory, in Israel, on the mountain, transfigured for all to see. And what do we find? We find Moses now for the first time in his life where in the promised land, in the holy land, in the land of Israel. And that says to me that even though Moses couldn't get there under the law, we thank God that he got there by grace. And it says to me and to all of us who have sinned, who have failed to trust God as we ought to trust God, who have failed to obey God as perfectly as we should have trusted and obeyed God. And it says that even though we have broken the law and even though we've not always kept the law, under grace, Jesus Christ can still get us where he wants us to be. And it says to me that we have a good God. And so tonight, If you're in one of those dry places, I'll tell you how I wrote this down in my notes when I got to this part. I just wrote conclusion, and here was what I wrote for the conclusion. When you're in a dry place, here's what you need to do. Pray and obey. Don't just pray and then do what you want to do and say, well, I prayed about it. No, pray and then obey. Do what God tells you to do and All of us can probably look back at times in our lives and say, well, you know what? There were times I prayed, but I disobeyed. I I prayed, but I didn't do exactly what God wanted me to do. And so I guess now my life will never be what it should have been. I guess I'll never get to where I could have gotten to. No, you could never get there under law, but we don't live under law. Thank God we live in the age of grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving us things that we don't deserve. And that's what God gave Moses in this experience on that Mount of Transfiguration. And don't you know that Moses had to look around? I mean, you talk about a deep thought. You talk about the goodness of God. Moses standing up on that mountain, looking at the promised land. Now we're in the land of milk and honey. Now there are figs. Now there's grain. Now there are pomegranates. Now there's this milk flowing. Now there's all this thing. Don't you know that Moses, maybe in addition to just surveying the kingdom and thinking, I'm finally here. It took Jesus. It took grace, but I'm finally here. And Moses could even look back to Jordan, to that mountain where he died, to that mountain where God buried him. Listen to this. This is a deep thought. I've never thought about it until right now. It just came to me. Only a child of God could stand where Moses stood and think to himself, I was buried over there. Now you think about that. Not many people can view their burial site. But with a child of God, you can. Because death doesn't get the last word. 
After death, there's life, and that life is in Christ, and that's what Moses was experiencing. And in that moment, he was thinking, I disobeyed over there. I died over there. God buried me over there. I couldn't get into this promised land under the law, but I got in under grace, and I'm so thankful for Jesus. Now, if Moses was thankful for Jesus in that setting, how thankful should we be for Jesus today? And that we live in the age of grace and his mercies are new every morning. His blood cleanses us from all sin and that, that where, where sin abounds, grace does super abound. And that God's grace always trumps our sin if we'll repent of it, if we'll turn from it, and if by faith we'll receive Christ's forgiveness. Amen. We hope that John's message, Dry Places Part 2, has been a help to you today. You can find this message along with Part 1 and many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.